0: On this episode of Movies From My Life, we've kidnapped Alex West from the Faculty of Horror podcast, and we're discussing Mr. Martin Scorsese. All right, so this is Danny. Hello. That's Jesse. Hello there. Devin is off screen. Hi, uh, guys. <laughs>
1: I still do that
2: every time.
0: For how many weeks now? (laughs) That was episode one of 80s Action Week. And we have a new panelist with us today, Alex. Hey. Now, Alex, before we get started, I'm going to do this a little inverted because uh, this one's going to be a long one. Um, So if anyone has anything to pump right now before, you know, do that and then we'll get into what we're talking about today. This is our Scorsese episode, so please don't go away, (laughs) but... um, Alex, you have a book out.
3: I do have a book out, yeah. Yeah,
0: it's very exciting.
3: It is very exciting. It's called uh, Films of the New French Extremity, Visceral Horror and National Identity. And I actually talk about the film I'm going to be defending quite a bit in it. So, um, yeah, it's really great to be here. Thanks for having me.
0: Oh, it's my pleasure. I always like talking about anything film-related with you. You're so much smarter than me. (laughs) Jesse, you have some... Cool shit on the go as well. What's what's going on with you, my yeah, friend? Yeah, I got
4: the uh, show Abandonware that I uh, help produce uh, on Vice's Motherboard site. We review obscure old video games and uh, you know joke around, have a good time. And uh, there's two episodes up right now. Check them out. Just Google uh, Abandonware Motherboard and it should pop right up.
0: Yeah, we've also retweeted a bunch of your episodes on the uh, the Mermal Twitter. Yeah, so you can, if you're following us at Mermal Podcast, a little pump for us. On Twitter, then you'll probably see those popping up in the feed. Uh, I'll also put a link to it in the show notes, as well as to where to buy your book and how to listen to your show, Alex, which is fantastic. Uh, re- I think it was the month after we did our talk on uh, Alien versus Aliens, which was one of your first episodes with us, Jesse. I believe it might have been the very first. Yeah, uh, <laughs> uh, the Faculty of Horror did an amazing show on the whole series. Broke down every single film, awesome. And I think uh, the second part of that is like my favorite of all of your episodes, maybe wow. with the exception Thanks. of I. I very much I know that uh, Andrea doesn't like it, but I like your first episode a lot because I'm a big Black Christmas fan. Oh yeah.
3: yeah, no, neither of us can truly listen to that first episode, which is now almost four years old. But yeah. uh, it has its fans, so that's nice. Yeah, Thanks.
0: it's me. It's just me it's playing just- <laughs> it over and over again.
3: <laughs> you got us up to fifteen thousand downloads. Yeah, Holy shit.
0: Yeah. All right. Enough patting ourselves on the back, though. Let's get into it. Martin Scorsese. Yeah. Now, this is an episode that we've been trying to do for quite a while. It was originally slated to be our third in our series of uh, Watch More episodes, and we keep pushing it off because we're always ill-prepared or we have people that want to get on and and can't get on the show or what have you. And Danny, thank you for filling in today, because actually East was scheduled to come in today. He lost his voice singing in his rock and roll band. <laughs> so thank you for filling in last minute. We're going to try and help you out when we get to that debate part of the show. Yeah, no problem. I'll make you go first just to throw you to the wolves. No, no, we'll we'll figure something out. Um, I'd like to talk a little bit about some of Scorsese's uh, reoccurring themes, some of his directorial traits, and uh, maybe just some things that you particularly like about his entire body of work. And then we'll also broach some of the films that we didn't pick in our debate. Because in the second part of the show, we're going to go to a debate structure like we always do with these Watch More episodes, except for the Fincher one, uh, and uh, and argue which film a newcomer to Scorsese should watch first. So before anyone else throws in anything, though, in terms of his directorial traits, I want to right now um, put a kibosh on anyone Pulling a fucking Vince Vaughn Swingers, uh, Steadicam, Goodfellas shot. Okay, right. <laughs> enough people have talked about the goddamn Steadicam shot in Goodfellas. It's legendary. Let's just yeah, let's just it. nod and uh, and and move along. There are other Steadicam shots in film, believe it or not. That's true. That are yeah. worth talking about. <laughs> the
4: Shining, and all that good stuff.
0: The Shining is a great example.
4: Uh, one thing I really enjoy is he does have a lot of stuff that's over the top and crazy, but he also really utilizes subtle camera movement, it's almost to the sense that the, you don't even know the camera's moving until you start realizing what's happening. Uh, there's one shot in particular in Taxi Driver uh, where he's just had his horrible date with um, oh, uh, Sybil Shepherd was it? Yeah, yeah, and um, he's on the phone leaving a message for, her, and mid conversation, the camera just kind of starts panning to the right and it looks down this hallway and you see the New York street. And that's kind of like the moment where you realize, okay, he screwed up. This this happiness that he might have had with this girl is gone. And he hangs up the phone and he walks down that hallway back to the street that he hates. And it's kind of, you don't really notice it the first time you watch it. And you realize it's just that subtle camera movement, like mid-conversation, drives the emotion of what he's really feeling at the time. And uh, there's another one in Goodfellas. I can't remember what scene it is in particular, but they're sitting at like a diner. And he utilizes the uh, dolly in, zoom out movement, but it's like so slow that you don't even really notice it's happening. But there's a tension that's created because of it yeah. that you're like, OK, something's not right here. Something bad is going to happen. That's the scene where uh, Henry meets Jimmy and realizes that Jimmy wants to have him killed. Yeah, well, there you go. So, that's it. It's the mm-hmm. disorientation. I and mean, it was something like that. Yeah. Sending him down to Miami. Yeah, <laughs> yeah.
3: When I think of Scorsese, I always think of the Mm -hmm. anti-hero. He's obsessed with Mm anti-heroes, and I think he's created some of the most iconic anti-heroes in film. And um, it's it's to the point where when Scorsese makes a great film, and I think we'll talk about a lot of them today, uh, they're so on point, and he understands the notion of creating a world within a film. And there are so many different tones and textures just in a narrative sequence. And, you know, in so many of the films, I would say you could generally classify all of Scorsese's films as dramas. Like, you could use that kind of as a, like, everything's a drama, but they're hysterically funny moments in so many of them. Oh, yeah. um, and even in a film, which we probably won't talk a lot about today, but Shutter Island, which is a drama. Yeah. But he pulls so many elements from horror films, especially in that kind of 40s, 50s era. Um, so he he definitely has a way to create a world. And what I appreciate as a female film viewer is that... Even though he's so focused on these male antiheroes, he always presents them with at least one or two really interesting female counterpoints. Mm -hmm. And while they're almost always a supporting character, I feel like all of these female characters have full lives. Mm -hmm. Like, Mm -hmm. I understand in Taxi Driver that Betsy goes on and, like, has a full life within the motion of this film. Um, Same with uh, Henry's wife in Goodfellas. You know, uh, Sharon Stone in Casino is amazing. Mm -hmm. I
2: think it's my favorite narrative
3: a hundred percent and she's super underrated and whenever anyone gives me shit about Sharon Stone I'm like no casino Watch have you casino, seen yeah. casino recently?" <laughs> But he, he understands that, you know, in the world of someone feeling downtrodden and needing to fight against something, they're not always right. And he's such a subtle director in those ways to present like there's good and evil within this world and that it's all subjective. And I think when you guys talk about all the kind of camera movements he does, the tricks, the the way he frames shots, it's all in service of the story. And I think that's why we're left with such kind of powerful, again, when they really work, uh, these powerful moments in culture and in history that we can go like, OK, that's it's a real touchstone of this movement, of this era.
0: Mm-hmm.
3: Um, yeah, that's, that's what I tend to think about when I think of Scorsese.
0: It's interesting that you touched on the, and and obviously, you are a horror connoisseur. You are a, uh, a connoisseur of genre film. Mm-hmm. And I love that Scorsese, and maybe it, maybe that's why you see a lot of these traits in him, is that his dream was always to do these genre pictures. Mm-hmm. He wanted to make westerns. He wanted to make... Horror films. He wanted to do all of these things, and and he his career has kind of, uh, in large part, been you know the things that people expect of him and, and subsequently well, he's had like he's had to break out of it himself
3: he's always fighting and I feel like this yeah. is what he always fights against but always winds up making especially in the last 10 years is these quote unquote prestige films mm-hmm. you know that this is gonna win an Oscar this is gonna be nominated for 10 fucking Academy Awards <laughs> and, and I feel like it takes away so much of the bite that he has and I feel like he's struggling to get back to that but He's he's an interesting man, and I, I love um, you know because he started uh, I believe he started his career with like Roger Corman. Yep. Um, so he has a real appreciation and a real love of film and film history, and like he does so many interviews. He's part of so many. Mm-hmm. Um, well, he started his
0: film society. Yeah. And uh, yeah, he's done so many. He did the the, the Jefferson Address. Uh, which is on YouTube if you guys want to check it out it's which, which is beautiful a beautiful walk through the history of cinema and yeah. he talks about how it's um it's all um it all has to be documented as if yeah. it's equal because you never know yeah. when you say take a look at something like he uses the example at one point of vertigo and how uh in large part it, it wasn't received uh in the way that we look at vertigo now and it, and even the uh the restoration process that could have been done on that film can never be achieved because the r- restoration that was done wasn't done on an original print it was done on a copy thereof and so forth and it's interesting how he talks about it doesn't matter if it's a film that we cherish like we do his films or whether it's you know fast 5 or something yeah. <laughs> like that it's all got to be documented in the same way another thing and we've kind of already broached it Per se that I uh I want to talk to you guys about and get your thoughts on is how much he values what he calls and what many people call, but what he calls the language of cinema. And as much as he talks about respecting it and honoring it and so forth, he is also constantly pushing the envelope, and, and, and people argue with me about that, but I'll, I'll give you an example, and Alex, you can probably help me out with this, and also, Jesse, you can definitely help me out with this. There's scenes in, uh, particularly the scene, uh, I wanted to point out, uh, in Taxi Driver where, uh, I believe it's just before he shoots the TV, if I'm not mistaken, and he, that scene right off the jump, it, it breaks a 180 degree rule, uh, up until that point in the shot he was using basically like rule of thirds yeah right if i remember correctly de niro is is along the the f- uh the far left line per se mm. and then when that happens when that shift happens you break that r- rule as well when he's shooting the tv i can't Pretty remember sure, yeah. how it plays out it might be after but I, i'm sorry but i love that this is a guy who respects everything that came before him and and honors those traits. We see many, you know, technical like framing, photography specific rules, the yeah. way that you would see in like a Kubrick or something like that. Very traditional, uh, you know, following the horizon line in particular ways and things like this. But I love that he also is like, okay, but this this needs to be shot this way. Yeah. Like uh, again, Casino at the end, another example. He's like, I just don't know how to shoot the Pesci death scene other than just over top so it's got to be done that way yep. it doesn't matter if if I can't express depth, then it's inconsequential because the emotional resonance of the scene is more important and I love that, so it, it's so interesting. his understanding of of cinema and how it's so much in his blood is his means by which to break those very rules, you know, which is so rare in any any art form. you talk about musicians that are just amazing you know players or whatever and they're usually very by the book it's very rare that you get truly amazing thought you get get it from them when they're younger like once they start kind of following the rules of music they forget and these sorts of things writers the same way etc right and it's just interesting that this guy at 73 years old is making films that's just it's literally legitimately lending a new eye to the art form particularly from a photography standpoint which is beautiful I don't know. I just finished the thoughts, so now you guys have nothing <laughs> to say. Fine.
4: I agree. I,
5: I, I'm not you for, are
0: correct. Yeah, I'm not lobbying anything to you guys. I'm sorry. It's all
5: I'll, good. One of the things I really like about um any Scorsese movie that I've seen is um he a lot of his movies have to do with the day to day operations of an organization, not just Goodfellas, although that shows you, you know, the mob at a street level, you know, hijacking and robberies, et cetera. But casinos, the mob again, but specific to Vegas. Wolf of Wall Street shows the corporate world. You see Belfort early on making phone sales in the penny stock place just after the crash. Even Taxi Driver, you know, um, Bickle's got the clipboard, and um, you you see where the taxi drivers go at night for their, you know, coffee. And Departed, exactly. the police department leaks, undercover stuff. That see where Alec Baldwin dunks his face in the ice bowl. <laughs> and Raging Bull, the blood sponge, stuff like that. So, like, um... With Scorsese, it's really important to show the process and the trade tools and the lingo and the proprietary attitudes of any given organization. So then as a viewer, you feel like you're being brought in on something. That's why a lot of the times his movies feel more thrilling because I feel more not just invest in whatever's taking place, but like kind of complicit. Like his films focus on the minutia, not the glamour and to the point where, like, even in Casino, you know that scene where De Niro's character gets the TV show? Yeah. And it's just yeah. so ham-fisted and ridiculous. He looks on um, the he's stage like the shows. At the Diet Coke casino. of Dean Martin. <laughs> yeah, it's just awful. So I don't think he does this to teach his viewers or give them info dumps so much as to enhance the realism mm-hmm. and give his characters mm-hmm. a rich interiority. And because of that, he's known as, you know, you go to his movies because you know you're going to see a lot of great acting.
1: I I think he he also gives people a lot of freedom, absolutely. um, which, like, I think it's funny that everybody always credits him with getting these, like, you know, the best performances of of people's careers when really, like, they did it themselves. Like, that was because, that was because he didn't do anything. That was Mm -hmm. because he did just tell them, like, okay, you three guys hang out in a room and just, you know, just shoot the shit. And, you know, if, if whatever works, we'll throw in the script. Like, that was... Uh, Goodfellas, uh, uh, how a lot of the the material came about was yeah. just from Joe Pesci, Robert De Niro, and um, yeah. uh, Ray, Ray Liotta. Liotta, Ray Liotta mm-hmm. uh, sitting in a room together, just just mm-hmm. talking, you know, as the characters. Um, and and I I think that's um, like I, he knows when not to over direct. Absolutely, yeah. like he, yeah. he's not. You know, a lot of people um, you don't see. Any, anywhere, um, close to, to, uh, yeah, the, the, uh, they they want you to stick to the script. Yeah, absolutely. Um, like specifically, um, look at Fincher, the, the departed I think is a great example of, of just, um, like Matt Damon. I I'm, I'm really not a huge fan of outside of, um, you know, selecting select select few (laughs) movies. And I feel like this is a, a fantastic example of him just, just, Elevating is, you know, um, in fact, everybody in The Departed. I mean, Martin Sheen and uh, Alec Baldwin kind of later in their careers where they're mm-hmm. they're really picking up a lot of pretty basic stuff. Uh, and in The Departed, they, they're just these these uh, incredibly animated characters that mm-hmm. are still so very them. Yeah. Um, still still not. Um, uh, you know.
0: Um, yeah. I love the touch of uh, Martin Sheen's character. Uh, just finishing a cigarette, then running up a flight of stairs, <laughs> and then immediately lighting up another cigarette <laughs> to look casual. <laughs> just how, how that character, the, like the psychology of that character seeing mm-hmm. how this this would play for the the mobsters who are coming to you know confront him about this niche right yeah, i better have the cigarette in my mouth or they're gonna think i'm you know <laughs> <laughs> or they're gonna yeah they're gonna think that i'm startled and yeah. intimidated or, by them or the
5: little touch of i uh, does the father son holy spirit yes and... it's beautiful <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs>
0: you know um one thing that i think is really not talked about with scorsese um <clears throat> that actually i first noticed in mean streets uh, which isn't one of the first ones I watched, but it, it granted new uh, a, a new set of eyes when I watched over a lot of his other work, uh, was something that actually uh, a guy that we've talked about on the show before, Tony from Every Frame of Painting, uh, his YouTube channel pointed out as well, so I got a shout out to him. Scorsese's very choice use of silence. We all know he uses a ton of music in film. He's always very, very strong sound choices, and a lot of that is because of everything is equal ground in his film. But I do love his use of sounds. And I wanted to point out that scene in Mean Streets after De Niro's character is shot. And, and the you know, the car hits the fucking uh, um, hydrant, fire hydrant. That's the one. Yeah. And uh, all the water's spraying up and Keitel gets out of the car. And that whole exchange is just fucking silence. And it makes it so much more impactful. And I love that. Uh, especially in a film where it's just wall to wall fucking noise, and that's one of the first moments that you get this just stark silence, and then it starts to blend in the water and so forth, and it's 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 a fucking beautiful scene. And, and you guys aren't helping me much, but I'll just keep going. I'll <laughs> well, just I keep remember I'll nail points until you. There's t- the the long stare in Goodfellas between Henry yeah. and.
5: Um, and pesci and then yeah. there's yeah what you mentioned in a part of the silence are you talking about the when matt damon calls the police captain's phone and they both just yeah. uh wait that's on the it. phone together yeah that's and that's seen.
0: beautiful because if you jesse you've seen infernal affairs right yeah alex have you no okay um danny i haven't No. Devin. no there's too many people here to ask this individually <laughs> <laughs> um you've seen how that scene plays in infernal affairs right yeah like rock and roll guitar and just, and the music is driving attention yeah. entirely. Like the music is super needed in, in that version. And then you see the departed and the silence is yeah. what drives that tension. It's they're so interesting listening to, to each concert. other
4: and they know that they're on the other line.
1: And yeah. it's yeah. Very, very good. Scene. I mean, you actually kind of talked about the opposite of a point that I wanted to talk okay. about, which <laughs> is, I mean, you're, you're talking about uh, the importance of silence in his movies and kind of under, yep. uh, you know, I feel, um,
2: his musical choices his,
1: are his musical choices, which are, are amazing. I just the, wanted to work. Yeah, I just so, to talk about his silence because no one
0: talks yeah, about it. Yeah, that yeah. was my point. The only the thing that I've ever seen on it is that one video that that
1: every frame of painting does. That's the only thing. But um, the the work that he puts into you know making sure that things are period accurate and and just um the way that they're they're cut into two shots is is amazing. Um, Absolutely. I actually, I I rewatched Goodfellas last night. Um and uh. The, um, the part where they, uh, where they kill stacks, uh, cause he doesn't get rid of the, the truck. Mm-hmm. Um, the <laughs> use of music there is amazing. The, um,
3: well, I think he plays a lot with like filmic, like a high stakes kind of filmic shot cut against his silent shot. The only one that's coming to my mind right now is like uh, the beginning of The Departed, when you're first introduced to Jack Nicholson's character, and it's like a slow pan and it's uh, Gimme Shelter. Yep. And he's like slowly walking in, and like they're describing this like big mafioso in Boston, and you're like, oh shit, this is like super, like this is high level like film mm-hmm. stakes right now. Mm-hmm. And then the rest of the film, they play with, you know, taking that sound away when it becomes the more mundane when it becomes Mm the banal Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and so it's kind of playing with you know a character's perception of like oh my god these are the fucking guys these (laughs) are the guys this is how they envy them this is how they perceive them and then those uh, sound cues, those music cues, get pulled away the more human they become. Mm-hmm. And then he'll kind of throw them in, especially later on towards the end of a film, to like bring you back into that big filmic world, that for these characters, this is a hugely filmic moment in their lives. And I think, again, it's it's what I was referencing a bit earlier with the tonality that he has and the way he can introduce so many different themes and so many different levels of understanding for these characters and for the audience. And it's just, it's really Really intelligent filmmaking when he gets it right, and uh, mm-hmm. he's made a lot of not so great films, which always kind of makes me really sad when I see a bad Scorsese, because I'm like, I know you cared about this, mm-hmm. I know this meant yeah. something to
4: you. Even when they're bad, they're still pretty good. They're yeah. still yeah, <laughs> no, there's still you something a to that. Scorsese them. movies better than, but
3: most it's still movies. like I just my heart kind of breaks for him yeah. because <laughs> you know. I, but uh, I had a I did my undergrad at Concordia in Montreal, and um, my big
0: ups. Up <laughs> Shout out. Yeah, can-
3: I did a theater de- degree there and I don't know why they're still asking me for money. <laughs> um, but I had this really amazing playwriting professor uh, and he's also an actor as well as a playwright. And he was in uh, the aviator and he was like kind of a speaking role. Like he just in one of those big party scenes, and He needed a couple lines with DiCaprio. And so I was in his class when he, when he went a couple days off uh, to go shoot that, and we were all like, what was it like? And he was like, that man knows exactly what to do, how to do it, and was friendly with every person, knew everyone's name, and was like the biggest class act. And so I was like, oh, that's nice. He's a nice man. Nice dude. (laughs) Yeah.
0: Okay, two more things, and then we're actually going to go to break. We're going to come back and do a first in favorites, and then we'll get into the debate if that's cool I, with I everyone. To do a thing. Okay, you I do, a thing. To do a thing. Do a thing. Do a
1: thing. Three things. Well, I just wanted to mention on a point: just com- the comparison between. I feel like the Godfather is like making, uh, making the mob out to be this this very honor bound secret society mm-hmm. sort of a thing, um, whereas. Uh, I, I feel like Scorsese properly portrays it as just this consequential thing. Like mm. is, there's one uh, moment uh, specifically in Goodfellas where um, De Niro is, is uh, talking to uh, Leota about um, uh, that Maury guy that keeps on asking for his money. Mm. And uh, De Niro just like, uh, just leans over to Leota and goes, do you think he talks to his wife a lot? <laughs> like, and, that's, and, and then, and <laughs> then, just like, and so this is this is how a hit happens, right? Like, this I love is, that line. It th- it
5: happens this fast.
1: Yeah. <laughs> as soon as he said that, Henry knew. Okay, well, he's gonna have him killed. And then he <laughs> talks about how, like, over the course of the night, he's like, he's got this pressure on his mind because he's mm-hmm. gonna have to try to convince De Niro not to kill Maury. <laughs> mm-hmm. And then finally, at at some point, uh, De Niro just leans over and he goes, "Yeah, that that thing we were talking about." yeah forget about it <laughs> uh, it's it's don't worry about it <laughs> like, like this is this is how killing people becomes something whereas yeah. in the godfather it'll be this stylized like slow motion like this is you know um, honor of the family yeah Opera. like exactly. eternal like, conflict of good and evil when it's yeah. just like no nah, man it's it's just <laughs> Dude. You think we should kill this guy? Dude, I should kill this yeah. guy. Exactly. Right, yeah, exactly. Like don't.
5: Godfather, it's like, you know, Al Pacino when he tapes the gun to the toilet and he comes <laughs> yeah. and shoots the Irish cop who beat the hell out of him. Yeah, it's like a it's a you know, and it is a really family mm. uh, even the title, right? But like, yeah, the good good fellows, it's just he's an inconvenience, he has to go, and now we it's an even bigger inconvenience because we have a body to get rid of. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> the logistics of it.
0: The uh <laughs> It's funny because I, I, I heard an interview with Henry Hill recently uh, on YouTube, on the YouTube, uh, where he was talking about uh, – what's the uh, name of the father figure to him? Like the surrogate father figure in, God, uh, in Goodfellas, uh, Paul – Paul uh, Sorvino? Paul, Paul Sorvino. Yeah. The actor is Paul Well, Sorvino. the actor is Paul, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, Paul I can't Vittorio, think. I
1: think. Sorry? Paul Vittorio? Yes.
0: Yeah. There you go. Um how the first time that he ever saw him, saw what he was capable of, um, it was like a cocktail waitress at a, uh, a, just like a neighborhood bar or something like that, that had gone in and uh, um, told his wife that they were fooling around or something like that. And so he went into the the bar with like a young Henry in the car or there or something like that and just proceeded to beat the fuck out of this poor woman <laughs> with a baseball bat oh, wow and it's like that was the first time that he realized the um like the lack of uh, of like almost a sense of reality or or consequence that these guys have it's interesting and what what that particularly that character was capable of and I, it's interesting because you don't see him that way in the film very much you see him more to the paternal role which apparently is very accurate but it, that that never really goes away in the in the film which is interesting
1: sorry it was paul cicero in the movie paul vittorio is um or paul vario is the name of the actual the actual guy uh, yes there you go all right
0: right, you guys want to take a little break come back and do a quick round of first and favorites before we get into uh into our debate let's do it Mm. all right Next week on the show, our 16-film battle royale to decide the sweetest of all computer hacker flicks. We hope you'll join us then.
5: Scorsese's uh, cameo in the film. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. Which uh, one?
0: The one outside the electoral office or the one in the taxi in when he's talking taxi, about shooting, shooting the wife upstairs?
5: And the first time I saw it, I was, was waiting for De Niro to say something, mm-hmm. and he just doesn't.
0: Well, because what can he believes say? that world really? is the world, so it's not shocking to him. It's Nero it almost uh, almost agrees with him. Like he's you
4: know he th- thinks there's a lot of shit in the world and a lot of bad in the world, and he's almost like he wouldn't confront him about it because he he's like yeah this this is it. He agrees with him.
3: That's part of the brilliance and how assured Scorsese is as a filmmaker and also, you know, Paul Schrader back in the day, uh, because they've given us enough to understand about Travis Bickle so that we can already intuit what. Travis Bickle is thinking or taking in or absorbing like a sponge um, so that he doesn't have to say anything and I think that's you know he has such confidence as a director uh, and in his actors that I think we lose a lot of that today where everything is so pointed out to us Mm -hmm. and uh, there's not as much confidence and I I think that's what Scorsese can do really well yeah a
5: major complaint about uh, Rambo or First Blood or whatever was the speech at the end where he talks about what happened to him in Vietnam because in a movie like Taxi Driver it's obvious. It's
3: all implied. The guy's yeah, been
5: yeah. Scarred by something. It's
3: so implied, but we can all take out. I think we all get the same understanding out of that movie or a very similar understanding. But I, I don't need anyone to fucking explain it to of me course. at the end. Yeah, it's
5: almost yeah. insulting sometimes, yeah. especially if you've been watching movies for a long time. Yeah. Well, you know,
0: it it's is alone though, in, in the <laughs> example you had. It's, you know, yeah. it's not war was tough.
2: Yeah. <laughs> let, let me just convey a...
0: this to you through words, because <laughs> these other qualities of acting might be a little bit A little bit tough for me, other than in Rocky. But yeah, sorry, you were saying Alex...
3: No, I was just thinking maybe I'm more sensitive to it because I specialize in the horror genre. And mm. we've just kind of come out of an era of remakes and reboots, some of which are fine, some of which are Rob Zombie's Halloween 1 and 2, <laughs> um, where it is like, let's explain everything about this person ever. Yeah. And it's like, I, I know those films have their fans, but I just I can't get into it. And I think, you know, the, the less you know about evil, the more terrifying it is. And uh, and I think Martin Scorsese does a lot of kind of playing with evil and what is evil and can you like evil sometimes and does evil serve a purpose? Mm. And uh, he, I love the way he just plays with stakes and he plays with our expectations of um, characters. Uh, it's, it's just it's it's really pretty brilliant and it's very subtle. And there and I think the reason why it's so brilliant is because these films are really watchable and really enjoyable. Like I always have a good time when I'm watching them, even if sometimes they're longer films like casino or Goodfellas, where they are a bit of a slog, but I'm always enjoying them. There are scenes coming up that I like and I know that are fun and I, yeah, they're they're good times.
0: Let's get into first and favorites. I like doing that. We haven't done it in a while. Um, Let's go, let's go counterclockwise for a change. What was, what's What was the first experience, Alex, that you had with Scorsese? And then, I guess, your favorite of his films. And I, why?
3: Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, I believe it was Taxi Driver. And I think my favorite is Taxi Driver. Uh, it was um, something I watched uh, when I was in university because I think I realized I hadn't seen any... Sc- oh, no. Maybe Age of Innocence. Uh because I was a big Edith Wharton buff. Um, Right on. But uh, so maybe Age of Innocence when I was like in high school and then Taxi Driver when I was in university. And those two are so disparate from each other. And I think that goes to speak to uh, Scorsese, the film buff, and the the genre lover that he is. Absolutely. Um, Yeah, I, I just think Taxi Driver is one of the leanest, meanest films I've ever seen. Uh, I think it's Scorsese at his best, at his most disciplined. I think, you know, you're watching a lot of people uh, at the height of their talent and what they do really, really well. Uh, I saw a screening of Taxi Driver a couple of years ago here in Toronto at the Royal Cinema, and it was introduced, and then there was a Q&A uh, with Paul Schrader, who's a screenwriter, yep. and this was right around the time he was promoting uh, that maybe The Canyons that he did with Lindsay Lohan and James Dean, and <laughs> yeah, so it was very awkward because it was presented by this film group, and they showed Taxi Driver, and that That was amazing. And then we had to sit through like a 20 or 30 minute segment of the canyons, which was like, awkward and terrible and i think schrader wrote it and directed it <laughs> i hear it's pretty bad
2: it's, <laughs> it was it.
3: like unwatchable and i think yeah. i i think i went on a, it was like a first date with a now ex-boyfriend and we were just like oh god and then it was really awkward because there was a QA and everyone wanted to talk about taxi driver and like the 70s oh, and new hollywood and all those things he was a part of but all he wanted to talk about was the canyons <laughs> and it was just it, like you can see that kind of fall from grace that a lot of them had and um you know it's it's interesting to me that a lot of you know the generation behind us is super familiar with de niro from like meet the parents and all of that but oh, yeah. when you go back to you know,
0: analyze that
3: analyze that <laughs> and uh, how many
0: bodies you can fit in the back of this
3: oh, <laughs> one of like the sloppiest laziest movies i have ever seen yeah. um yeah. It, it, so it's just it's it speaks to so much we are going on through these days like i i, I talk a bit about taxi driver in my book. Cause the French really kind of, Mm -hmm. uh, riff on a lot of the themes within that. And actually Gaspar Noé makes a really similar film called I stand alone, which is amazing. And it's like, you know, when I think of Trump supporters, I think of Travis Bickle, I think of all these, you know, white men who are disenfranchised and feel disassociated from society and feel like they're on the fringe of it.
2: Yeah.
3: And they lash out and it's violent and it's scary, but there's also a weird understanding that, uh, this film has towards Bickel and I think that's pretty amazing
0: it's interesting that you mentioned the, the political alliance being that he like obviously the candidate that he's he plans to assassinate mm-hmm. is a, a democratic candidate yeah and I love how even when he plans to assassinate him and he's you've got the new mohawk and I love obviously the symbolism there of, of the mohawk and how that ties into Vietnam and so forth but I love um that <laughs> it's just a brilliant moment when he claps at the end of of the speech. It's it's just fantastic because even though at this point Bickle as a character has like no no common ground with the ideals, it's particularly the like the whole like the slogan like "We are the people" and all of these things. Um, and how he sees the people as being the very problem, that society is the problem. Mm-hmm. Um, it's interesting how he still claps. I love that. I don't know why, but there's just something so powerful about that little nuance, and it's it's masterful.
3: Because it's so upsetting. You don't know what he's going to do. You don't yeah. know how he's going to do it. And, and there's... Um... I think what the film does really well is it presents this kind of unstable character but within a really stable framework of the film so you feel kind of secure watching it but there's elements of danger to it that I really really like and again I think a lot of people have tried to remake this film in in different ways and in different means and um, I know they were trying to get a sequel off the ground even as recently as a few years ago and and eventually they all kind of backed away from it. I don't want
0: to see a sequel to that movie. No. No No. because it would have to be literally the same thing because that's where you're left. Yeah, you're left with him learning nothing. Yeah. it's one of the most brilliant character studies that has ever come out of Hollywood cinema. Yeah. you know, and it's it would a fucking sequel would be just painful. Painful. The sequel
5: was the last shot, pretty much. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. That panicked glance in the rearview mirror.
0: Exactly,
1: Devin. Um,
0: first and favorite, <clears throat> and pourquoi?
1: The first one I saw was probably Casino. Okay. Um, tough to. Uh, for a call, uh, yeah, because we would have been like, running around that age that probably you could get that one on rental as soon as it hit. Yeah, hit, yeah, yeah. So I think that was my first, but it's definitely not my favorite. I mean, I think um, Goodfellas. I mean, beyond being like my my favorite Scorsese, I mean, it's probably one of my favorite movies. Like, I I think it's um, just such. Um, it seems like everybody. Uh, involved had a lot of fun with that i don't know Mm -hmm. the characters are are so um real but larger than life and i mean even just just seem kind of like larger than life portrayals of themselves like the the things that they usually play like uh, i i don't know it's it's um it's uh, and and maybe that's even as a consequence of the movie like maybe you know joe pesci it seems like that character is Joe Pesci because because you know that's just such a, a big part of, of his uh, his catalog. That when I picture uh, Tommy um, Day, whatever his name is, uh, in the movie, like that's that's what I, I imagine Pesci being kind of like in real life. And I mean that's become kind of what he's cast as in movies going forward. But it's it's um, and music videos, yeah. <laughs> rap music videos. <laughs> Wise guy. <laughs> oh god. I gotta watch that. I don't think I've ever It's ever like it. the worst thing I've ever seen in my life. Sorry, um, Joe. But it's <laughs> um I I feel like a lot of other uh depictions um of of mob and film just, just seem very um uh overly cinematic. Like they're just they're they're um stories that that um just don't seem that that uh, that realistic.
3: Well, know. they're they're glamorized heavily. Yeah, absolutely. Like, violence is sexy. Murder is sexy. The women are sexy. And here it's just very like this is normal. Like he Liotta, Henry Hill stands his wife up on their like a date, and then she comes and yells at him, and that's when he becomes attracted to her. Like it's mm-hmm. not this like sexy, <laughs> uh, super hot thing. She just calls him out, and that's mm-hmm. what he finds attractive.
0: It's <laughs> interesting too. The line. Uh, where she talks about him giving her the gun and her being aroused by it, mm. I love that, and apparently that's that's literally according to Peggi like he couldn't he says like you can't write that stuff
1: like that <laughs> that's literally the case, you know, and it's so interesting well, i can I can see it too i mean it almost you know just just the um at the, at the same time as it it's it's uh, dangerous just just being able to to still step back from that not being directly involved in the mob but but kind of being able to live through it vicariously is almost like a it's a rush you know yeah. i i totally get that I'm like
2: mm-hmm.
0: jesse
4: uh first movie was taxi driver uh i was pretty young at the time my parents had rented it I uh, i don't think i knew who says St- uh, he was at the time i just knew there's a movie called taxi driver and it was pretty violent and stuff and i loved it uh, right away and i think that might have been like what made me start researching about uh, Stanley Kubrick and watching more of his movies. And uh, as for favorite, I have to go with Taxi Driver as well. It's not just my favorite Scorsese movie. It's probably my one of my favorite movies of all time. Uh, it's, it's, it's really got that gritty 70s raw filmmaking, which I just love that whole era. Yeah. And I uh, just really, even though Travis Bickle is a conflicted character, I do identify with him in certain ways, just like, you know, which sometimes he, he just wants a friend. He just wants to connect with somebody. He feels so alienated with the world. And, you know, he is kind of a anti hero and a yeah. bit of a bad guy in some ways, but uh, I just connect
0: with him in, you know, certain respect. But does he really want a friend? And we're going to get into this probably because we're talking a lot about films that may be in the debate. Maybe. Surprise. <laughs> um, but does he really? Because he constantly. You know, starts these kind of relationships, say like wizard or say like uh I'm drawing a blank here civil Shepherd's character's name help Betsy me. Betsy, yes, um and then he immediately alienates them like on the flip side uh, yeah. he's setting himself up yeah. for that because he wants a reaffirmation that the world is the shit that he thinks it is yeah, it doesn't have to be. he's decided on this, you know yeah. that's the and that's one of the most interesting things about the character for me. Maybe that's uh, like I relate a little bit to that, too, because we're all victims of our own self-sabotage. Yeah. Perhaps not on that same scale. Hopefully not on Hopefully that same not. scale. <laughs> well, we are all victims yeah. of that. But yeah. Danny?
5: Okay. Um, my first one that I saw was The Departed, uh, which is really weird. Yeah. Wow, I saw it in 2006 in the theater. It was great seeing in the theater because the scene where DiCaprio comes out of the elevator gets shot, um, I felt the entire theater go silent. Like, you could feel the shock in the room. It was, oh, yeah, Absolutely. Um, incredible. I love that scene. Mm-hmm. Did Definitely that did coming. not see it coming. <laughs> yeah. But as for favorite, I have to go with Goodfellas. As much as I love Taxi Driver, i got to go with Goodfellas because it's just so exhilarating. So
0: that's me. All right. All right. Um, <clears throat> I've been trying to figure out which one I saw first because I – I saw a handful in around the same time. Same story I always fucking tell. Summers, visiting my grandma and grandpa, watching movies. I'm pretty certain it was Casino. But I know that I saw Raging Bull in around that same time. I also... And I know that because I know for a fact that I saw On the Waterfront for the first time around that time. And that's always the most standout scene for me. Which, again, I guess is cliche. But we're gonna... You know, it's my show, so fuck you guys. (laughs) Um is the mirror scene and, and the idea that that learning later, of course, that that was a very um, conscious choice by Scorsese to change it from being like a Shakespearean sonnet to being the exchange from on the waterfront. And I love that. Um, but I'm pretty certain that it it was, it was casino. Cause I would have been that age when it came I would have been at the right age that as soon as it hit rentals, I would have gotten to rent it, right? And because it has Robert De Niro and Sharon Stone and Joe Pesci, I can just see my grandma being like, you know, here's 10 bucks, go rent the movie kind of thing, right? Um, in terms of favorites, that's a hard one. I know it's not Goodfellas, as weird as that is, because I I know it resonates with me, but it, be, uh, the I don't know that world, and I think that keeps me removed from it. I think it might be Taxi Driver. I know it's the one that I've watched the most, so I'm going to go with that just on the basis that I've seen it the most. So that's mine. In any case, let's take a break. We'll come back and finally get to our debate If you have an idea for something you'd like to hear on the show, please email us at show at moviesareinmylife.com or reach out to us on Twitter. And however you're taking part in this episode, please don't forget to leave comments, share, reach out to us so we can keep the conversation going. Good? All right, so we're back and let's get into it. Now, we decided on the break that we're going to go chronologically from oldest to Newest. Um, And we're debating, of course, which film is best to introduce a newcomer to Scorsese with. So, uh, Alex, you're up first.
3: I am. What's your Um, selection? I picked Taxi Driver, uh, in case anyone hadn't guessed that already. (laughs) Um, And... To me, on top of all the things I've already mentioned about it being um, a really well directed film, a well paced film, a lean film in terms of running time, um, it's also one of the most iconic in Scorsese's career. And just as we were talking about, you know, why he has trouble getting financed or how does he still get all these great actors, it's because. I think it all kind of comes back to Taxi Driver and that everyone wants to recapture that lightning in a bottle that he had where he hit on, you know, the crest of the new Hollywood, which was, you know, people like Coppola and, uh, Scorsese himself, along with, you know, horror people like Romero and Wes Craven, all talking about things that were happening in society that weren't being shown in film. And here you have, I think, one of the most accessible films for that ilk. It has, you know, a story of a, terribly lonely outsider who is interacting with different people who all have their own lives. I mean he interacts with Betsy, who's played by Sybil Shepherd, who they almost seemingly almost delve into a romantic comedy bent. But it gets pulled away from them, and then he kind of goes on this vigilante-esque crusade to save Iris, who's played by Jodie Foster, the young prostitute. And it is, it, it's is—it's emblematic of so many of the things that Scorsese did so well, and that I feel like he's always tried to recapture, and that those points, when we talk about his other great works, they all kind of trickle back to Taxi Driver, and when he really nailed them in that film. So, for me, when I think of Scorsese, and if someone came to me and said, I, I want to try it, what should I watch? I would immediately start them with that, not only because it's Scorsese's best work, but because I think it's one of the socially and politically most important films to come out. And if we want to understand a lot of um, you know, the reasons why we're scared of, you know, white men on the fringes of society, and I say that as a white woman in a room with a bunch of white men Um, (laughs) that, you know, that's, it's such a clear crystallization and it hits, you know, I think as we've talked about before on this podcast, so many brilliant things about the seventies, but it feels so contemporary. Um, I also love that the way it captures New York is this kind of pre Giuliani, um, you know, before it was cleaned up and like, this is what they were trying to clean up and that's what they did. And it's just, it's this beautiful, time capsule which is unfortunately all still too relevant
0: I want to I had a couple of questions the the iris dancing uh scene uh with uh Kaitel and and Foster it's kind of the only scene in the film that um more or less is not from Travis Bickle's perspective now or, or is it? Like, how do you interpret that? Because I, I've gone back and forth when I've watched it over the years. Where, in my mind, he's imagining that. Yes.
2: Yeah.
5: yeah I'm with you on that. It's just too hallucinatory. It's yeah. also the only scene in the movie he's not in. No, exactly. that's not true. I think it. Uh, uh, I no, Sybil
3: Shepherd and Albert Brooks. All those scenes with oh, them joking the around in the office. Yeah, yeah, but right. even he's
4: um, in those, he's in the outside. Car outside.
3: But we're see, but like it's it's just it's too and I and I know there's a lot of theories about uh, at, at the end of the shootout the last five minutes of the film is that you know his imagination as he dies and basically they've all kind of like Schrader uh, Scorsese have all come out and said no but you can choose to believe that if you want mm-hmm. um, I, I, sure you can think that
0: well no because my question is do you believe that that so that's actually in your mind that's happening yeah okay so. Is, that's a further reaffirmation that that iris is in fact better off where she is
3: well it's it's an understanding of why she's kind of doesn't want to run away and why she's staying and i thought it was very interesting at the end that uh because she has this kind of like ballsy voice and jodie foster's mm. so great in it oh, yeah. and I love her. and I, the part that like There's so many parts about the end that creep me out, but the fact that Travis gets a letter at the end and it's from her parents and they're like, she's way better off now. She's better off. She's better off. She's better off. But nowhere does she like write him and say, hey, thanks for doing this. Or holy shit, like this is my, this is my life. This is, you know, it's, it's so different now. And I think it was a, a way for me, I read it as a way to ingratiate, Uh, iris into this world and you know we get to see a little bit of why like because that's you know she she refers to harvey keitel as like her boyfriend and you know this and that and so like as a 12 or 13 year old kid if that's what you imagine of love that's you know what what you get and that's his manipulation of her
0: yeah interesting my other question was this is uh if memory serves this is the one that uh de palma put him on to right he yeah. read the script first. De yeah. Palma read the script first.
3: Yeah, I think so. Really, yeah. I didn't
4: yeah. know that. I know that. Either. Which
0: I, I find so interesting because there's a, there's a great quote from him where he talks about like no matter how good my films are, how pleased I am with them, etc. There's always the new Martin Scorsese picture, <laughs> 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 and I love that. Uh, just interesting. Not really <laughs> lending credence or. Dismantling your argument, just something I thought was funny. I don't know. There you go. Anything else that, uh, that we want to lend on, on on Taxi Driver?
4: I think we've talked
3: a lot about Taxi yeah, Driver yeah. so far. <laughs> it's a good flick. It's a really
0: good it. flick. Man, yeah, great. I love it.
3: The one thing I will say, uh, just because w- when we talked about it earlier, we mentioned you know the kind of potential sequel that didn't happen mm. and if anyone is really curious out there and wants to see what i think is kind of a spiritual sequel to it it's the film i already mentioned before which is gaspar Noé's i stand alone and it is shocking in a lot of the same ways taxi driver is but in entirely different ways as well in this film um the uh, the character is uh, a father um, he, it's it's so fucked up and it's brilliant. Um, and then for anyone who's seen Irreversible, which is mm-hmm. Gaspar Noé's second feature film, um, yeah, <laughs> <It's> a, <laughs> fun <laughs> happy movie that, that one. one. <laughs> that's, that's real, uh, but the but the old the old man at the beginning who's talking about time destroys everything and in that apartment and then at the camera flicks down into the street level that's the character that's the main character from i stand alone his name is the butcher oh, and yeah. then he's also the subject of Noé's first short called carne um and then the first i don't know i think 10 15 minutes of i stand alone kind of encapsulates what happens in that short films and carries on that story but it's to me it is such a brilliant spiritual successor to Taxi Driver in a completely different way in a kind of 90s set France. Um, Yeah. Everyone should watch it. Not enough people have.
0: I am definitely going to watch it. Yeah, me too. I wrote it down and everything. Oh, my gosh. (laughs) I think you just did too, didn't you, Danny?
5: On my list now, absolutely. I'm I'm
2: intrigued.
0: (laughs) Okay, one more question for you. (laughs) What is it with uh, Scorsese and, and... uh blondes and particularly like almost the angelic uh something about blonde women in his films dresses them a lot in bright uh light colors and these sorts of things and and uh, they're they're almost heightened in in some of his films obviously this is a great example uh, with Sybil Shepherd being like his idea of purity at one point in the film. At early stage he goes in and talks about what he sees in yeah. her eyes and all these things. Yeah,
3: there's practically like Vaseline on the lens because yeah. it's all just like exactly, soft focus right. around her.
0: And then the same thing can be said about early moments in Casino with Sharon yeah. Stone. Also, again, um, this kind of angel of Sin City per se. Uh, through the eyes of De Niro's character, which is so very interesting.
3: Well, you know, for a long time, uh, blonde was, you know, the kind of brass ring of feminine beauty that was like the highest standard you could reach. I mean, Mm. look at all the women like who still dye their hair blonde and I'm a brunette, so maybe this is my chip on the shoulder. But (laughs) there is also a sense and a kind of historical creepy aspect to it where uh, blondness meant a kind of purity, Mm -hmm. Um, you know, talking back to Nazism, everything like that. So there is a kind of sociological... Um, uh, bent to I think you know a heterosexual male species kind of looking for the most pure mate and that is kind of seen as the blonde mm-hmm. um, and yeah I, I think it's kind of that angelic thing and if you look at the men in Scorsese's films these antiheroes as I've already talked about you know they're not the sharpest tools in the shed mm-hmm. uh, you know Sharon Stone in Casino is definitely like a box blonde but it's, you know, it's that thing. It's that standard of beauty. You want that hot blonde walking in on your arm when you go into the club and you see all your friends. It's um, it, it is that kind of standard achievement of what you can do as a heterosexual male, I think.
0: Duly noted. Right on. <laughs> if I
3: come back next time and you all have blonde girlfriends, <laughs> i gonna be like, damn it. This is the opposite of my point.
1: <laughs> all right. Uh, wait, who's up Next. I think it's good. Yeah, do your thing, sir. Um, yeah. So I'm arguing for for um, for Goodfellas. Um, kind <laughs> of low hanging fruit.
2: I think
1: I think it's a good is one. It, Just, is it? Yeah. Yeah. It, it is. No, you know, I don't know, man. No problem. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, whatever. It's okay. Um, but uh, I I think um, uh in my mind a lot of um. Well, a lot of a lot of the stuff that I've really enjoyed from uh, from Scorsese is usually um, either um, based co- pretty closely to to a true story, like um, Casino, uh, Goodfellas, Wolf of Wall Street, um, uh, The Aviator. I haven't seen, but that's in his catalog. I don't know. <laughs> Gangs um, of New York, uh, Raging Bull, uh, Gangs of New York. Pretty loose, but <laughs> yeah. Um, and uh as well as his uh uh biopics um the um the last waltz and stuff like that he's just Oh, please um, don't
0: get me started on the last Waltz. I don't want like to piss it. off Sean, man. People think it's a
1: good movie. I don't. I, <laughs> I love the last one, but um,
0: I love the performances and it's yeah. shot beautifully. But like, how stupid is that? Like that that scene with the, the story about phases, the hotel. Yeah. It's like we oh, got to
1: New York and we were thinking, like, this is gonna be great. <laughs>
0: and then and we went was. outside
2: and it
1: was great. <laughs> <laughs> Good story, guys.
0: <laughs> but, uh, like the most fucking bland individuals on the planet. Like, the name of their band is The Band. <laughs> like, just just play fucking music.
4: Well, there's that one scene where they're talking about how they have no money and they got the big Canadian overcoats and they're stealing, they're, they're buying bread, but then they're stuffing their, their, their pockets full of bologna. <laughs> that, that's kind of a funny scene. It's, it's, just, a bit
5: of a... It, it, it's part of what I was talking about before with rock and roll being monolithic. It's like, here you have these elder statesmen of rock and roll playing... And the performances are pretty bad, Mm. particularly the one with Muddy Waters. Or the one with Neil Young, where they somehow mangle a three-chord song. It's just
4: like... Uh... Well, Neil Young's got cocaine dripping out of his nose <laughs> That's in the <right>. movie. <laughs> not... to... Hey, man. Like... I think I got it uh, now, so did Scorsese at Neil <laughs>
0: Young's made a career out of dismantling <laughs> fucking three-chord songs, and they're all beautiful somehow still. So
1: I, I see your point, though. Van Morrison and that fucking hey. jumper or whatever fuck. <laughs> <laughs> I, just, I, I just think he's, um, he's, um, he's got a real... A knack for pulling out of um, of a, a true story. What what pieces people are going to find compelling? Uh, for example, um, Henry Hill, um, like one of his his big um, like most uh, well known capers was in uh, point shaving uh, for sports. And it, it while a lot of that was was uh, interesting and certain certainly a part of, of his, his kind of formative uh, getting getting uh, involved in the mob. It was all cut out because th- there there was so much more uh kind of more compelling content to deal with um a lot of that was more central in the book wise guys that it was based on uh the pledgy uh yeah. novel but but um didn't end up um uh, coming through in the, the film um i feel like as much as he's, he's amazing at building tension he's also fantastic at cutting tension um with with um like the you know the Goodfellas, the classic scene. Um, imp- uh, you know, just thrown in by by Joe Pesci. Uh, the the uh, you know, so uh, I'm funny. How I'm funny. You know what I amuse you, and it's it's really um, you see the reaction of everybody in the room of like, oh God, like is he gonna is he gonna really shoot him? Mm-hmm. Uh, and then they they all just start laughing and, and think it's hilarious, and it like you you kind of as the viewer in that situation are just like, ah, oh, like. That was a good one. Yeah. Like, and, and even, even though, you know, a second before, you, you know, Joe Pesci, you know, as you come to know from his character later in the film, could very well have shot somebody over something so fleeting. Uh, you know, um, I guess what I'm saying is he, he's great at comedy too. He's, he makes, absolutely he, you know, incredibly uh, funny and endearing scenes with, with, while still working with dark subject matter and, yeah. and the same with, you know, like I, I think it's, it's definitely Ray Liotta's best, um, uh, from everything that I've seen him in. Um, you're looking a little skeptical, so I don't know. I'm trying <laughs> to think,
0: cause all, the only thing I can think of that I absolutely loved, loved him. And beyond that
1: is obviously like, I, I loved him in Copland. I thought he was fantastic, but yeah. yeah. Um, uh, De Niro's, uh, character, uh, is a, a real, uh, I don't know, a real like roller coaster, like mm. you get to see him through through such good times, through such bad times. You never really know. Uh, his intentions are never really made that clear. He is like one of the most else. complex by far. Yeah. Like you you really don't know in that in that scene that we were talking about earlier um, uh, where uh, Karen Hill uh, meets him uh, after everything's gone down you don't know whether he was going to kill her or whether he was legitimately just telling her, "Hey, like, go pick up a, you know, mm-hmm. oh off these guys over here." And you can mm-hmm. tell it, whatever, like, and I, I think that's uh, a real great part uh, of uh, Robert De Niro, specifically uh, his portrayal in this movie. Um, I thought Lorraine Brocko as Karen Hill was amazing. Absolutely, like, she just um, uh, her inner monologue uh, mm-hmm. scenes are also uh, really great when she's at that meeting of all the mob wives and she's kind of seeing like the wives aren't what these guys are, are about. Like these women yeah. are all, all kind of very worn out. And she's still at the beginning of this. She's still in like the, the kind of honeymoon phase of, yeah, absolutely. of this relationship. She's the new wife and is seeing kind of what a history of this lifestyle is, has has um, brought uh, to, to all of these other women. It's uh very, uh, very compelling. When I think of, of, um, uh, Scorsese, I I think of this movie uh, immediately, and and I know that's kind of the populist choice. I you know I'm not really being that controversial here or anything like that when I say it. I respect his entire catalog, but I think this is just for a first watch. This this is has so much to it, um, and so much rewatch value as well. Every time I watch it, I see something that I missed the last time. Um, it's long, so yeah,
2: it's easy for
1: yeah. for for that to happen. sit through a two and a half hour movie. There are also
3: yeah. some really great recipes in there.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah.
3: It's like this weird fetishization of food. It's so good. Yeah uh, okay. slicing
1: the garlic then with the oh. uh, the razor blades. Like, that's
0: smart. Yeah. yeah I actually want to talk about that scene a little bit. That's one of the most iconic uh, moments with Scorsese's mom. With her being Pesci's mom yep. in the film, oh, one of the most yeah, legendary, yeah. Uh, you know, moments of hers because there's there is a little bit of lore around that. You know, um, I'm going to talk about the one in my film when we get to it because I like that one; it's a much <laughs> cuter story. But <laughs> but I do love uh, how Scorsese very much would just kind of put his mom in the scene and just be like, oh, whatever, just react, and she would just. React to whatever was going on. So, you have this <laughs> woman who's not an actress. She's literally treating these characters as if they're real people and reacting to them genuinely and differently in every scene. So,. Mm. You know, when Scorsese's cutting, he's not cutting in those scenes or in any scenes, really. But specifically in those scenes, he's not cutting for continuity. He's almost completely cutting for entertainment value, Mm -hmm. which is so interesting. (laughs) It's like, what did my mom say that was the funniest?
2: (laughs) I love that.
1: (laughs) The analysis of the painting by Joe Pesci. You got this dog, he's looking over here. (laughs) This dog, he's looking over there. You got this guy sitting here saying, what? (laughs) What do you want from me? (laughs) That painting was actually... uh, a painting by um I uh drawn a blank here on on which um uh member of, of staff on the film but it was just like one of the yeah. the um you know, like a, a grip or a sound guy's mom's painting and That's of course awesome. as he saw it and was like that That's <laughs> it. <laughs> the uh
0: Pesci character few notes that i wanted to ask you about on him mm. first of all i can't believe you haven't mentioned that go get your fucking shine box oh
1: of course go get your fucking shine box <laughs> i what the I, fuck i can't why am i fighting your argument for you here, i though? can't think of a better example of just like um Tension and comedy concurrently i mean yeah, i have talked about the fact down, that he's great at both but it's like that scene just how many times everything cools down like he walks in and he's like oh god and he's like yeah no i'm not gonna i'm not gonna bust your balls like okay everybody's calm if i was gonna bust your balls i would mention the shine box <laughs> gets pissed off everything calms down no no we're just having fun we're just you know have a have a have a drink but seriously, go home and get your fucking shine box. Everything erupts <laughs> again. Like it's just this it it's, it's such an amazing scene. Yeah. And um and really, um The know, look on Reliota's really
5: um, face when he realizes he uh anyone could walk in so he has to lock the door, like the kind yeah. of Oh, I better lock the door, like and he just runs over as they're savagely beating him. <laughs> yeah. It's pretty fucking pretty fucking great.
1: I should actually say since I'm bagging on the the kind of um over stylize, uh, stylization of his like later catalog, but that that scene in the courtroom I thought actually was a little bit of an awkward use yeah. of, of it. Doesn't since 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 he doesn't really break that fourth wall throughout the rest of the film. Then all of a sudden you're you're watching Henry Hill on the stand, and then Henry Hill just stands up and starts walking through the courtroom. It's like uh,
5: the part where he says, "Now it's all over," and he's looking straight at the camera.
3: Um, the part where he's
1: He's literally
5: speaking to
0: the audience. He's walking out of the
3: court out of his trial after, sorry, after giving Mm -hmm. testimony. It is jarring. Yeah. Yeah, Yeah, it's no cuffs.
0: Yeah. But it's interesting because again... Really?
3: No cuffs? (laughs) Alright, fine.
0: No cuffs?
3: Sorry. Well, Okay, well I'll talk about my Christian Slater crush in another instance.
0: (laughs) (laughs) I gotta make a list of all these crushes. I'm gonna get confused. (laughs) No,
3: wait till we get to the departed. (laughs) But isn't that kind of when you feel like, you know, he stopped narrating in the past. And that's when the past and present within the film catch up with each other. So he's not, cause I always kind of get the sense that that was him telling, you know, exactly. an FBI guy or something like, this is what happened. This is my blah, 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 blah. And then the moment when he's leaving the courtroom is when his reality and that reality kind of merge, merge. Mm. So it is jarring in the way that we haven't seen it before. But I think within the internal logic of the film, it makes sense. And if we want to sit around and analyze it, he probably come up with something oh, like no, that. We, no, you're right about we that. Don't want to do all that,
5: the events I he's been I am describing. Right. <laughs> yes. All the events he describes in past tense and then yeah. at the very Steve end of the movie says present. I get to live the rest of my life like a schnook, which is present. Yeah. Mm.
0: Although he did in real life go on to get, later get busted in Seattle on on drug charges and he did go on to uh, actually be booted out of the witness protection program for just yeah. like m- many, many criminal offenses. Which is why he ended up, like, coming out and doing, like, a million fucking interviews and documentaries and everything. Because he needed money, you know? know? And he always says, like, oh, like, the real Henry, like, talks about, like, there's an interview with him where he's like, oh, I just thought I was going to open a restaurant or something like that. Because I always owned a restaurant and I never did. And it's like, well, you could have done that, my friend. (laughs) You really could (laughs) have. All right, let's take a little break, come back, and we'll... Get to our last three films. I was just going to have one thing that's been criminally overlooked in uh,
5: Goodfellas is the the cam sequence.
2: Mm. <laughs> <laughs> oh. I realized there was an opening sequence. I can't it's... believe you said that with a straight face. <laughs> I just stopped with a couple of guys.
0: Hey guys, just a reminder to follow us at facebook.com slash movies in my life. Uh, we always post photos from the show and other kinds of weirdo content throughout the week. that has to do with the episode for that week. So definitely follow us on Twitter because we are always on the Twitter, the Twitter machine. But um, we'd love it very much if you could also follow us over at Facebook. We're going to be putting exclusive videos up there and lots of behind the scenes stuff. So uh, yeah, do that this week if you wouldn't mind. And say hello.
1: Holly um, from uh, um, the uh, Sopranos. Um, that man has a longer criminal rap sheet than the filmography. He's 28 and 27. Yeah, he's <laughs> a real criminal. <laughs> but he's was, legitimately was. A, a hardened mobster. Like he, did, he did time for, for an armed robbery.
0: <laughs> All right, so we're back. And I am up next, right? Yes, sir. I'm up next anyway because Danny's not here. Yeah, He's downstairs making coffee. <laughs> All right. So um, the film that I selected because I fucking pick last, but also because <laughs> <laughs> the film that I selected is uh, Casino and it's the film that I saw first. So I'm putting it in that context. And there's a couple of things that stand out for me about Casino being a first watch. Most of the time when we have these kind of discussions, I never like to intro a new viewer to a filmography of a particular director based on their best picture. Because then everything for me is downhill after that. Mm -hmm. I like to start somewhere in the middle. I also didn't pick Raging Bull for this episode specifically because I always argue black and white films and people think I'm fucking crazy. Mm -hmm. Um, But I think Casino is, is the best in that it's right in the middle of his catalog. Also, Scorsese's known for long films, don't get me wrong, but this is a three-hour film that, or like two hours and 53 minutes or something like that, that feels incredibly fast. You guys have argued against that. I 100% uh, disagree that it's, it's really uh, well-paced. And I love, there's something about it that's almost, I don't know what a good word, I don't Think episodic is a good word, but you'll understand what I'm what I mean in that it isn't uh, standard like first, second, and third act structure. It's more uh, of just an ongoing narrative. I also again love the idea of the monologue swapping out. We talked about how that plays out in some of his other films, so that's interesting. It's extremely colorful. It's interesting because the first thing in the film that you get acquainted with is actually the world you get all those beautiful uh montage sequences after you know i'll get back to what comes first in a minute but of um who's watching who for example uh and uh and that's really cool just like pan work apparently uh, scorsese just did that like he that is shot the way that it's edited basically it's just that's the way it was shot here's how we want it to work, just chop off the beginning and end of everything, put it together, perfect, you know, kind of thing. And th- there's a mastery to that. And I also love that that scene explaining how the skim works is so close to the beginning. Because, again, it's just reaffirmation of my point that, like Danny was saying earlier, the world plays such a large role in every film in his catalog, regardless of, of what the subject is. The world and the rules of that world are so apparent to you there's almost like a it's like this is this place and this is how this works sorry that was me <clears throat> and there's something fantastic about that i love the opening sequence the getting in the car the explosion the choice of music we already talked about that so i don't really have to get in that <clears throat> and i love the tension that, that immediately creates because in your mind you're thinking the first time you see it this guy's toast and also that, that the story is almost perfectly what actually happened. So there's something great about about it. I What else have I got here? Oh, I love Scorsese's mom. We talked about this a little bit <laughs> before in this one.
3: I think Brandon has a crush on Scorsese's mom.
0: <laughs> she's no longer with us, sadly, but she's a sweet, sweet lady. Um, <laughs> I love the scene in the grocery store uh, where... Of course, there's just swearing and language, you know, and she's telling him, like, language. And then, apparently, there's a story in between uh, in between cuts, you know. Uh, Scorsese would just tell his mom, like, okay, just keep reacting. And, and his mom would go, I keep telling him, but he's not listening. <laughs> thank you. Um, thank you for the coffee, Danny. No problem. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, uh, there... Uh, there's these wonderful human moments i also love the with the world comes the the motives and the motives are are so wonderfully clear off the jump too where you have the question of greed and and then everyone's kind of um you know desire their longing for like more and more more this consumptive kind of or uh, yeah like the, the consumption that we all kind of uh overwhelmingly feel even today in american society you want the best clothes and the fastest car and you know the blondest girlfriend i don't know i'm just lending Do you no <laughs> in it any- <laughs> oh
3: just keep digging that hole yep
0: and so in any case in addition to all uh, w- once you get to know the world you get to know these wonderful characters and we talked about how i think many of us at the table think that this is sharon stone's best performance in her entire catalog i really like quick and the dead don't get me wrong I'm not taking anything away from that film i just think that this is this is by far you know her best and uh, her most uh, emotionally resonant you know not uh, Um, regardless of whether you're male, female, young, old, you know, uh, it doesn't matter. There's something there for you, and I love that. Uh, James Woods is amazing in the film, Uh, just the perfect choice, obviously. And Pesci and De Niro, their performances, despite, like I said, this not being the best film, are these transcendental, powerful performances, much like Stones, where even the people on set were afraid of Pesci. You just didn't deal with Pesci, much like we were um, We were talking a little bit about Jodie Foster and Taxi Driver. She has a great story about uh, never talking to Anthony Hopkins on the set of uh, Sounds of the Lambs, and she was just terrified of him the whole time, right? Yeah. And it's very much the same thing when you hear Sharon Stone talk about Joe Pesci, like when they were away from the set, he's just this warm, wonderful guy. But as soon as they got to the set, everyone was afraid of him. And even him showing up at like uh, some of the, uh, say, for example, uh, Pelleggi's hotel room or something like that, done up as as the Nicky character and just scaring the fuck out of him. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> and there's all these brilliant behind the scenes stories, but that doesn't lend to the movie, obviously. So I'm, I'm not strengthening my argument at all. Just interesting. But I do love the nature of those performances. I love how Ace is not confrontational. And he is almost like us where he, at times, at times, where he is, he can be our bridge. And uh, in the sense, like, say, for example, the pen scene, which is fantastic. So you're acclimating to these characters and you see that wonderful pen scene. There's a nice pen and so forth. And then you have the narrative afterwards where he talks about how, um, he was just trying to figure out why the guy said what he said. And Nikki was already beating him <laughs> up kind of yep. thing. So that's fantastic. That's <laughs> all a very powerful piece because it can drive you down so many roads of interest. And the most apparent one for me is obviously Scorsese's other work. In addition, you can also look back at classic, Holly- or classic Hollywood film for one because there's a lot of great technique in there. And some of the best technique that exists in that period – uh, in his catalog, and then also um old Vegas, which is kind of romantic, you know and and also terribly corrupt <laughs> so there's <clears throat> there 's so much there and it can act as a conduit into other things for us and I think that 's why it 's a valuable piece and why it 's one that should be heavily considered when you 're trying to introduce someone into uh Scorsese's catalog, because there's so much there that they can have fun with, so many questions that they will ask, and um, it will create this satiating need to um, to delve deeper into all things relative to this film. At least that's how I feel.
5: What's the What's the character's name? Is it Sam Rothstein?
0: Yes, uh, the real guy is Lucky Rosenthal. Yeah, I don't
5: know. Uh, it's just. But yeah, so, Ace... He's so different from most of the sources he's a uh, protagonist just because he's fundamentally a cautious man. Yes. Like kind of an administrator.
0: It's interesting how they talk about in the film the idea that um, anywhere else in the country, they uh, uh, his dealings, his gambling, and, uh, and his world is very much illegal. But as soon as you enter Las Vegas or Nevada... Um, it's like a morality wash I think is a the term that they use if I'm not mistaken in the film and that's such a a cool thought process the moments like for example later on in the film when uh when De Niro is talking to uh the IRS guys is it and the and the fucking FBI surveillance plane is circling or no it's the um gambling commission guys and uh the plane is circling, and then it runs out of gas because it's following Nicky. Mm. And they have to land on the golf course and then run off. That's one of the few, that's one of the few that's funny scene. parts of the movie. Well, the pen scene, which you missed me talking about, that is fantastic. It's just,
5: I feel like all the things that made Goodfellas work make casino drag, you know. Like the operation of the casino from, from the office he has all the way to that grocery store in the Midwest. It's just like, in Goodfellas, their downfall I is when they kill... Hard. Their downfall is when they kill Billy Bats and that super, you know, it's the framing, it's how it uh he's in the trunk at the beginning of the movie, but
0: then in Casino his downfall, Rothstein's
5: aside from his wife it, um is, is the guy the, that keeps when he records. fires the idiotic employee.
0: Yes, and also, but what's what finally that doesn't take him down because that's when he go, does the show and gets the uh, entertainment director title. Yeah, but um, he,
5: he loses his
0: well, he was always going to swap titles because that's the whole point of of pushing his application to the bottom of the. They talk about that, but uh, when he loses it is, or what brings him down is the um, the the plant the, the uh, surveillance on that grocery store and him talking about how he keeps records. The owner uh, with with Scorsese's mom. language.
5: Just, I don't know, man. I I like the Sharon Stone to me is the saving grace of the film because um, she's so tragic in the sense that she just she has this allegiance to James Woods' character. He's like kind of a ne'er do well hustler. Mm -hmm. It's really hard to understand why. (laughs) The only reason must be is that she she loves him, and so she's a bit of a romantic. I think the main reason she drinks so much with Sam is because she wants to, you know, wants to escape.
0: Yeah, but that's an extension of the story and what what people like again it's it's a story as old as storytelling and that like again that's her achilles heel that's james wood's character is her weakness and the same goes for you know ace's weakness is her And, and and that trend continues on you know it's also interesting i i just don't know if i agree with you that all the things that goodfellas does well makes this film drag that I think that's an irresponsible statement because you're you're not contextualizing the the very things in the, that you're describing uh, properly within the film. It's so just for, because
5: for... it's so there's so much administration and, and office politics and employee politics going on in Casino that just to me they don't ring uh, like d- dishonest or anything. It just it's uninteresting to me. I don't know. I rewatched this one the most recently. I saw it two months ago. Mm.
2: Wait,
0: Okay, so, so we're getting into a very Siskel and Ebert debate. <laughs> You're Gene Siskel, of course. I... Um, <laughs> so I'm going to just say, what are you, crazy? Well,
5: <laughs> if he was going to switch titles anyway, then why, did, is why do they spend so much time on the trial?
0: Because it's his vanity. Yeah, but it's all about his vanity. That's what brings him down. Uh, another another of his weaknesses, you know, this is the thing. They created paradise, or rather, they were given paradise yeah. and they fucked it up. Like it's literally said in the film. And that's all of these things you're actually proving my point to some extent in that you have questions about the film. You know what I mean? Like, you have, there's value to it because when you walk out of it, but you talk about it. You continue down the rabbit hole that is Scorsese, per se. Sure. And I'm always cautious of picking a film that I feel is the best. Like, I wouldn't offer up Taxi Driver and I would not offer up Goodfellas because there are a lot of people who feel those are his best. And to offer someone that the best film in a guy's catalog, it just seems so fucking strange to me because then everything that this this person is going you know is going to see after is just going to be you know subpar. Yeah. Consequently, like and and that just doesn't seem logical to me. But again, even that statement is based entirely on, on my emotions towards say, for example, Taxi Driver, or say, for example, Goodfellas rating them fairly high on, on my list of Scorsese films, but it may be different for different people, obviously. But I just feel, as a blanket wash, watch, <laughs> wash uh, across the board for anybody, there's a character, there's a uh, a story that you can latch onto, the environment is one of the most important elements, so the stuff that you find on things that you are not interested in <laughs> um, are the very things that that make the film work in large parts. It's interesting that you don't like them, Um, but it still works because you still ask questions. I guess
5: the last point I would make is just, okay, so say it is paradise. They're given the keys to paradise and, you know, they threw it away. What's really, really irritating to me about this movie is you have Sam Rothstein on top of the world. He's making lots and lots of money. He finally gets um, a wife who he loves, at least at first he never ever seems to be enjoying himself in this movie there's not one scene where he looks happy or pleased even his wedding night he goes and finds her uh you know on the phone to james wood Mm -hmm. that doesn't sound like i mean at least in wolf of wall street which i know we'll talk about later uh you have a guy enjoying the fruits of his labor even if that is Mm -hmm. hedonistic partying sam is never literally never having a good time absolutely (laughs) and so to me it makes it way less of a viewing experience because in goodfellas at least they indulge you know they go to restaurants they,
0: they drink, well they go to restaurants yadda, 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 but yadda, yadda. The, the idea again like in in the ace character is he again he also says it like I'm a realist and and from the time that he's young everything is very uh very much a business for him from the yeah. uh the the gambling from uh, like all the way up and again he he's just he's just moved over into this world where all of a sudden it's legal, but he's still himself. His character does not develop. This no, this isn't his film. Not at all. You know, so.
5: But like as a viewer, if we're going to be living vicariously through a bunch of gangsters or just one gangster in casino, it's mostly Rothstein. it's like, I want to see at least some of his existence be exciting and joyful.
2: Hmm. I, mean?
1: I don't know
5: my main beef with casino. I don't
1: know he gets a lot of joy out of doing doing the job right I mean he's just very he's a, he, he's a very it's business pride. person like when yeah. when they if catch,
5: he gets joy out of that it doesn't register in his expression mm-hmm. or in the way he behaves when they
1: you don't catch think so that's the um the guy that's cheating um <laughs> and yeah. he's just like in all, in all right you can have the money or you can have your hand mm-hmm. like pick one and then you got to go yeah. <laughs> like <laughs> Just making a guy choose between having his hand smashed with a hammer or getting, mm-hmm. like, a couple hundred thousand bucks. Like. Yeah,
0: which is, <laughs> as some of the people who were, uh, were I think Frank Vincent is the name of one of the guys who's uh, kind of been a, a consultant on the film. Mm-hmm. And he said, yeah, that guy got out for real easy. You <laughs> know, because normally we'd beat the fuck at him and throw them in front of a car <laughs> and then tell, them they, tell the police he got hit by a car and things like that. <laughs> but, um, yeah... It, I I just I think that the the confirmation that his he is getting pleasure out of his life is is things like his flamboyant outfits for example his uh his arrogance when the world before him is is about to crumble and he decides to go back at say for example the gaming board and these yeah. sorts of things mm-hmm. this is this is confirmation that a guy who is very street level gambler business is, is deep down, uh, very much pleased in his world. And he talks even about these kinds of things with Sharon Stone, where he says, um, what is it that he says? He says something like, uh, I, am I'm, I'm doing well for myself. I'm going to do even better. These are points of pride, you know, sure. this is, and for a person who grows up in the inner city, uh, who has to fight for some kind of a living. It's not unusual for them to be very stern and cold and, and removed from things. The exterior of an individual does not necessarily define how that person feels. But he has
5: a hernia, as evidenced by that scene where she's taking his morphine. Yeah. He's like, these are for pain. You've been taking all my pills. Okay. So, oh, hernia, internal, metaphor. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know, man. Rotting from the inside. Yeah,
0: but it, again, like, what's the what's the source of that? Is the source of that his very weakness, I which is people her? who
5: who enjoy work for work's sake, like that Protestant work, work ethic, are generally miserable. I think.
0: Okay, so now we've taken the conversation. This is just a really general philosophical. <laughs> no, but point. we've taken this conversation around to one of the largest themes in Scorsese's whole body of work, which is now guilt. So now you're telling me that they shouldn't watch a film first that embodies one of the main principles <laughs> regarding his his catalog of work. Yeah. <laughs>
5: <laughs> just because just the film puts the hole in the peg of all the you know the usual themes and usual collaborators doesn't mean it's necessarily a good first watch. But if you're saying it's wrong to give somebody the, the the magnum opus of a director because then Absolutely. after it's all it disappointed is. then yes casino is a good entry point because if you watch casino then you watch good Exactly <laughs> It's like going from a a brunette but to a blonde also know what I'm you're kidding into, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That was just a horrible one. No no it it's a better it's a better thing
3: Wow, you guys must have a lot of girls on this podcast. <laughs> We've had
1: binders full of women on this show. <laughs> <laughs>
2: nice nice uh, reference. Mitt Romney reference? Uh, <laughs> That's oh. another man who doesn't know to enjoy
5: himself.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Alright, let's move along because... That was longer than I expected it to be. I expected it just be like, yeah, all right, whatever, fuck you, and move on. But, you know, Danny wanted to fucking start an argument with me. And uh, actually, if you do would... <laughs> Okay, who's next? Is it me or... It is you, and I'm going to... Actually, gonna...
4: would you mind if I do mine next and bounce? Yeah, yeah, go ahead, man. Because yep. uh, I totally forgot my girlfriend... I told my girlfriend I'd be home by eight, and she has, like, dinner ready. Yeah. <laughs> and she's all like, dinner's almost ready. I'm like...
2: Oh fuck! We still have some time to go. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Go for it. Yeah. So yeah, I'll Jesse, do mine, do it.
4: and then, uh, yeah, yeah. I'd man. love to stick around for the party because I. Love that's why. It that's
0: it. why we did the uh, the, the little uh, shout outs to our other projects at there the beginning. Go. Perfect. Sweet. Please. So you want to uh, fire away? What's your film, sir?
4: Well, I went with uh, The Wolf of Wall Street. Uh, if I had first pick, I probably would have gone with Taxi Driver, uh, but I didn't. So that's okay. Yeah, me too. So I decided to go with something completely opposite of Taxi Driver instead of like a smaller kind of film, like his most grand, one of his more grandiose decadent type films, uh, a little bit over the top with its uh, insanity and stuff. And I went with Wolf of Wall Street, which I love. Uh, I've seen it like, it only came out like two years ago. I've seen it probably like five times now. It's one of those movies. If I walk into a room and it's on, I just got to sit and watch the rest of it. And I find it's almost like a, uh, a metaphor for his own excessive drug use back in the day. There's like a famous story of him and Roberto uh, Rossellini uh, renting a cabin, blacking out the windows, and doing cocaine for like three days straight. So you really get a sense of his uh, his overindulgence in uh, in drugs and stuff like that. Um, so yeah, it's a kind of movie that if someone's never seen a Scorsese movie, even though it's his most recent one and not quite as iconic as other ones, you can go into it and it's just balls-to-the-wall filmmaking. And it's excessive and it's over the top. It's full of incredibly funny scenes, uh, especially the one scene where they're uh, we're smoking crack cocaine together.
2: Mm-hmm.
4: And it's just like, well, how much crazier can this get? They're like doing cocaine and they're doing uh, lewds and all this stuff. Now they're smoking crack. And I just kind of enjoy the fact that it's, uh, yeah, as I said, it's like an over the top kind of uh, telling of a certain time in history where these kind of guys were just running wild. They were taking advantage of people. They were doing excessive amount of drugs, no repercussions for this, and the fact that no one's really a good person in this movie, they're all kind of real shitty people, but you almost kind of root for them. You're almost like thinking that, you know, I I hope these guys get caught, but at the same time, they're having so much fun, I'm having fun with them, and that aspect of it I I, kind of like. And just overall, I think it's just a, uh, you know, a, a fun movie to watch. Uh, it's three hours long, but it feels like, half that. yeah, it feels like half that. And as I said, I've seen it so many times and the more and more I watch it, the more and more I love it. Mm -hmm. And I feel like if someone were to be a first time viewer, I think they have a lot of fun with it. Uh, but it also depends on the person. There are some people that saw that movie and absolutely hated it. And they're like, how could you enjoy watching these terrible people for three hours? You know, they took advantage of people and they ruined people's lives and stuff. And I find a lot of people that dislike it for that reason, i I do not not sure for 100%, but they might have been taken advantage of at some point with either like a Ponzi scheme or, you know, pyramid scheme type thing. And I know people like that kind of obviously don't like it because it's glorifying this horrible thing that these people have done. But uh, yeah, I've never been taken advantage of like that, so I think it's kind of funny. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, just a great cast, great performances, obviously. Uh, the scene where they uh, they take too many pills and they're basically, you know, he can't talk anymore, and he's yeah. on the phone, and it's like mid conversation. Cerebral, yeah, yeah. cerebral palsy. stage. Yeah, he's <laughs> cerebral palsy stage. Like halfway through Fuck. a phone conversation, he's just not speaking English anymore, and then he gets in a car, <laughs> and this is all stuff that if, if I knew someone had done this or I would heard of someone oh, doing the this, roll I'd, thing? Yeah, I'd be like, you, "You, what a fucking maniac! What an asshole!" But the fact that it's such an over the top, cartoony kind of character. Mm-hmm. I'm almost, like, you know, rooting for him in some ways, but at the same time, yeah, if I'm... In real life, the guy's an asshole. He ruined people's lives, and, uh... Yeah,
5: yeah. with that scene, I didn't know DiCaprio was capable of that level of physical comedy. Yeah.
4: yeah. really was,
5: I was
0: laughing hysterically in the theater. I was in tears.
4: It's probably one of the funniest scenes in the movie, and, uh
0: particularly the the when they recap what actually happened with the driving right it's, it's
5: first shown that he 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 got home fine and everything you know no big deal no no yeah. one's wiser and then it shows you what he actually did mm. which was drive into everything
0: they are also responsible though in how they do reaffirm regularly how much of a fucking piece of shit this guy is yeah, yeah. like it's not like in in that way i think it's more more responsible than say, for example a good fella's because, like I said before, you fall in love with Henry Hill and then you leave the theater and you're like, oh. And you you realize that, like, on the uh, in that film, say, for example, when he's going to kidnap his fucking daughter. Yeah. You know, and, and moments like that and you're just like, you fucking maniac. Like, just stop. But like you don't – there's – you want – don't get me wrong. You want to see this guy succeed just so that you can fucking be horrified almost. There is – there you don't warm up to Jordan Belfort. Yeah. Because even when he's saying these things, like when he's in the office and he's talking to uh, Vicky, is it? And he's like, you know, when I met you, you had you didn't have a nickel to your name. You're a single mom and all this stuff. And, you know, I saw something in you. But earlier in the film, he fucking told you what he was doing. And it's not for them. You know, it's not for them at all. Just that he can build an empire on their fucking backs. Yeah. You know. Uh, And and so you see through that shit, you know. Um, rob reiner is great in that fucking rob film, reiner is great that's, way, <laughs> fantastic oh that's one of the inconsistencies about that that film because there isn't uh the uh uh the stadium like the uh, uh that wall yeah isn't uh isn't there in the period that that picture is supposed to be oh, from okay. they didn't build those stands until afterwards yeah A green monster story. Green monster that's it yeah they the stands aren't anyway. there Sorry, which you've Sorry. been to recently, haven't you? Uh, I went there about two, three years ago. Right on,
4: and uh, I really need to go there. Yeah, I wanted to see a game there, but it's apparently the games are all sold out because it's such a tiny little uh, ballpark.
0: Oh, but what a magical place! Oh like, yeah, it
4: was cool just being in there.
0: As as many have said before, how can you not be romantic about baseball?
4: It's true. Has says he done a baseball movie? <clears throat> no, nope. no, maybe he should. Yeah, maybe. I feel like he would have done it by now, though. Yeah, you never know. But yeah, Wolf of Wall Street. Uh, yeah, if someone's never seen it, I'd, I'd suggest jumping right in with it because it's uh, yeah, it's a lot of fun. They're shitty
0: characters, but you're kind of <laughs> having fun with them. <laughs> I wanted to uh, I wanted to mention um, how the film almost feels a little bit. There's all these moments throughout it that feel like hit points on a chart, more so than a lot of his you mean films. Like like the, the film is
5: structured in such a way that it feels. When you come sort out sort of obvious when he's hitting his th- usual thematic checkpoint. Yeah. 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 yeah.
0: So, for example, when you come out, you remember like the shit mm-hmm. and you oh, remember yeah. the fucking obviously the opening sequence with the Throwing the door. Yeah, and then the uh, shaver fucking head and all <laughs> yeah. this bullshit and then you it skips ahead and you remember like uh, as you go along, it's just uh, uh, the fucking storm is another one. Yeah, and, and like three helicopter pilots died or something. Yeah, and just and, like Oops! <laughs> yeah, yeah, and the yeah. and Here's the, the scene with the internal conversation that goes on between him and the the yeah, fr- yeah. the Frenchman and so forth like these are all you condescending asshole the <laughs> inevitable uh, domestic dispute yeah that de- you know devolves into violence fighting over the children all of these things the are casino, just yeah. yeah I I'm not saying it's formulaic I'm just saying these are reasons why it seems short in yeah. retrospect. Because like when you, it's a long mail, it's a long watch, just like all of us. Phones, yeah, they're all but, like three hours. But yeah, there's the, that one seems like it's a fucking grocery list that he's going through and being like, yep, yep, yep mm-hmm. got yep. that one, got that okay, one. Okay, perfect. I don't know. Just an observation. May not have any merit. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Is, that Is that it for you? <laughs> uh, that's all I got to say. All right. Has get
2: the out. fuck out of here. All right. See you later. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, cocaine sir. Cocaine and out. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Thank you for having me. Hey, man. It's yeah. always a pleasure. We've missed you around here. I know. I've given you a few shout outs and shows.
4: Yeah. I like <laughs> shout outs.
0: I'll take them. Awesome. Thanks a lot, guys. We'll Have see a good you soon, one. you
3: man. Yeah, man. Can I just say, I really fucking hate Wolf of Wall Street? That was like you know, one of, of the last films I almost walked out of. Really? I've never seen a more boring Lazy exploration of machismo. It felt like I was watching a jackass episode set on Wall Street, and it was just like for all the drugs they were doing, like look how fucking wild we are. And I was like, no one cares. Literally, no one cares. You have no consequences to anything you do ever. Yep. So why do I care? I thought it was such a shitty fucking movie. Yeah, I did find it. Pretty
0: I like it, but pretty... I, I, I I like it as a character study. You know well,
3: what character? Nothing happens to him. It,
0: it's the same kind of concept, just delivered not as well as, as some of Scorsese's other work. In the, in the sense that, like for example, um, you know, uh, the choices that you make, like you you have to make a conscious decision to break the cycle, or it will just continue. Um, and you disliking the film is actually. A good response and one that probably Scorsese himself would appreciate. It's not
3: that I have no problem with anything topically or thematically brought up in the film. My issue with it is that it's so fucking boring Mm. and not in an interesting way, not in the like banality or the mundaneness of all the drugs they do. I think it's a really poorly paced badly made film
1: interesting it was one of those movies where where afterwards um i i was amazed upon seeing the the uh the running time like i, I was like hey you know i i mentioned this to you every so often when we go to see a movie or something like that and uh, prep for, for this stuff yeah <laughs> bring it up as like a common complaint but like when you watch a movie and then you look back on it and like i can't out like three hours worth of, of no good like content. I, said, I can, I can remember like two or three hits that I like, yeah. and then the rest of it was just kind of filler. And I, I definitely think this movie was was. Um, was one of those. I love how we're
0: all taking shots at Jesse. I know. He's know. Now he's not well, here it's to literally because I
3: thought of saying something and then I was like, fuck, if I had made my boyfriend dinner and he was late because he was talking about Wolf of Wall Street, I would break <laughs> up with him. So and Jesse seems like a very nice person and I didn't want to put that on him.
1: So. <laughs> at, at, at the same time, I mean, I think But again, think,
3: films are subjective, so we're all right.
1: I think what you're saying about the, the lack of consequences, um, Kind of, kind of says a lot about that the the entire industry that they're they're talking about here. I mean, the what yeah. what what Leonardo DiCaprio was doing in this movie was not the the fact that that wasn't out of place during the era is fucking insane, mm-hmm. and, and and the fact that he is one person that yes got got caught um, on like a, an insider IPO um, thing, but they there were like. Uh, you know how many, how many hundreds of thousands of other people living this lifestyle constantly and facing absolutely no repercussions, like not even, not even, um, not even seeing a trial, but yeah. just like this, this is the standard. Like these people, um, like the drugs and, and uh, prostitution and SEC violations and just constant shit that these people are are are. Um, perpetrating just just go gets gets swept under the rug because they make a lot of money mm. um, and I don't know I I, I think I, I don't think he didn't he didn't um, see any of the consequences and I think it's it's you know it is kind of a, a you know a, a, on its own uh, just as a, a movie yeah I completely agree with you but I mean as an analysis of 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 just the the You know that kind of stockbroker, you know, making money from money uh, at what cost? um, Kind of analysis of it is 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 at least um, like I I I I guess what I'm disagreeing with is like the no consequences thing. I think that's the point. There are no consequences for this because these people are rich white men.
3: I you know I think this actually a much more devastating condemnation of that whole industry was something like The Big Short. Yeah. absolutely yeah um, yeah. Oh, yeah which had way more mo- it just and again this is all subjective but i just i didn't that's care. a
0: brilliantly written film though you know like it really yeah. is
3: unlike wolf of wall street
0: <laughs> yeah let's which, talk about
3: the other movie which is like <laughs> fucking
0: again we keep saying it but it's like hit points on a chart it's like a checklist of fucking yeah. you know hey this is what people like about my other films yeah so all right danny Bend.
5: All right, Um, well, mine is The Departed as an entry point because it was mine, but so I don't think, well, I don't think The Departed is just another crime film, uh, even though it's a great one. It's more about how convincingly can you lie? Uh, How far will you go to maintain people's perception of you? And a lot of the characters are involved in this kind of thing. a lot of the movie is about performativity, like Mark Wahlberg's Dignam deliberately being trollish in the job interview mm-hmm. or being intimidating toward the FBI guys. There's a scene where Matt Damon and Alc Baldwin are at the driving range and Baldwin tells him, you know, marriage is an important part of getting ahead. It lets people know you're not a homo.
0: And that your dick still works. <laughs> yeah. And then he so he marriage says, is about, though, oh,
5: yeah, working overtime overtime. I'm glad to hear that. Because he's
0: already had the issue.
5: So marriage is about maintaining people's perception of you. um, And then, you know, Baldwin talks about how he has an immaculate record. So, of course, you know, Damon's character has to follow the domestic script of Western civilization. You get married and you have kids. But even Nicholson's character admits, you know, he doesn't need the money anymore. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. He just wants to maintain his, um, you know, image. So, yeah, it's a great movie. But uh, one misstep is the terrible Van Morrison version of Comfortably Numb in the sex scene. (laughs) Because, like, to me... One of the things that sucks about Scorsese is he seemed to have retired from listening to music in 1980. Like it's just <laughs> – rock and roll was at one point the expression of youthful re- rebellion and freedom. But now it's very oppressive and monolithic. It's it's an industry that sells nostalgia to baby boomers. And it's um, – I wish he'd continued listening to music closely
0: and maybe put in something other than what he usually – Usually does. Question for you guys. Has he ever used The Clash in anything? Because he's a huge Clash fan. I wonder. But in any case. I can't stand Matt Damon. I hate him in almost
5: everything (laughs) he's been in, except The Departed and uh, the Coen Brothers, True Grit. Yeah. So, just one thing I forgot to mention was the performance of... I don't know how to pronounce her last name. Is it Vera Farmiga? Farmiga. Farmiga? Yeah. Yeah, she was in a lot of movies around this time, but... um, I think that her performance in this was really, really good, particularly toward the end, when she started suspecting before it was confirmed when she got the box of tapes from William Costigan, but when she started suspecting that something was wrong mm-hmm. with her uh husband. Uh are they married at that point?
0: No, they're they're just they're they just she moved together. in with him, yeah. 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 Um
5: yeah, she was fantastic. And um
3: Um, I really like the departed. Uh I don't I think it's his best, but I really enjoy it. I think it might be the one that I find the most rewatchable in terms of it being accessible and engaging and well paced. Yeah. Uh, I also really like the way it presents Boston. Um, I've been to Boston a couple times subsequently after seeing this film, yeah. and it's very accurate to certain parts of Boston. Um, Interesting and uh just that like heavy boston accent and when you hear it like it's like every third person you meet in boston has that accent so you're like oh my but god not all, them, right? not all of them no um but it's a lot of like the working guys like a lot of guys on construction sites had it um uh, so it's in, you know, guys working like the, uh, subways, all that kind of stuff. So, um, yeah, I, I dig it. It's also the first time I think I really got like Leonardo DiCaprio as an actor. And I think maybe the only time I've gotten him as an actor, same with Matt Damon. Um, I don't generally like either of those two actors very much, but I thought they were both really good in the film. And it was like DiCaprio being this kind of like moody, um, guy and then you know Damon getting to be the kid from Southie that he is
0: that he is yeah that's a good point
3: yeah no I think, I think it's a really solid movie and I think if uh, someone didn't want to watch Taxi Driver because it was maybe too dark um, I would definitely follow up with The Departed mm. also again it's one of the shorter I feel running times
0: I think you're right
3: because those, those as much as I really do like some of these films and de- you know they're two and a half three hours but it really can wear on you
0: this was one of the ones in my short list, and and Danny, to be completely transparent, I can't remember if I said so at the beginning of the show or not because we've been here so fucking long. <laughs> but um, this was one of the ones in my short list, and and East actually picked it before me. Uh, the others being Raging Bull and Taxi Driver, for complete discretion here, and then uh, you know Casino was in there as well. It's it's a great film. I think that there's a lot of big performances in the film. Uh, which is nice. I I like it. I just I, like you said, it's got great rewatch value. Yeah. I just don't know if I would put the same value on his catalog if I watched it first. You know.
3: Totally. Yeah. Like
0: I, I, I almost think that uh, as much as I love The Departed and is and I like Wolf of Wall Street. Um, I don't know why, but I I, I like. It's like pop music, you know. You listen it's to like it, and, Boys and, Gone and it, Wild. it just goes away. Like it's not anything special. But sometimes you you throw on. A, I'm trying to think of a pop artist that I like, but not enough to, you know, like I don't want to say Madonna or Prince or something because they have value to their music. But <laughs> but it's like a it's like a bubblegum pop song that you can watch throw away. There's no there's no there's not a lot of substance, or maybe there is. I don't know. But it's that one. I I agree with you guys. Like it's. I just don't know if, if I could, if I watched The Departed first, if I would even give a fuck about like I'd put on Goodfellas and treat it the same way, like I it like oh it's a movie, whatever, you know. It, it would take it would take me longer to delve into his catalog. I think I just and also the fact that it's a remake is kind of weird because then that's another road that you're gonna fucking go down. Someone's gonna be like, oh have you seen Infernal Affairs? And that's gonna be you know that's gonna Uh, take you off the Scorsese road. So I want you to stay on the Scorsese train as long as possible.
1: (laughs) We're going off the
2: rails on the Scorsese train.
0: (laughs) Alright. Any final thoughts on Scorsese, (laughs) ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, children of all ages? No. Excellent. (laughs) Thank you. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs>
2: yeah that was a long one eh? yeah Epic.
0: all right remember this is just the beginning of the conversation we want to continue it on with you so reach out to us on twitter this week um we're at Mermel Podcast at M-R-M-L Podcast. you can also email us at show at movies dot com um and i'm at not brandon fleet on twitter if you want to reach out to me do you guys want to offer up your twitters
5: i'm at leafs love hurts okay
3: um, I'm at Scare Alex.
0: Cool. And Devin's not going to reply to you anyway. <laughs> <laughs> so thanks, Alex, for joining us this week. Really love to have you here. If you too want to thank alex go over to faculty of and subscribe to their podcast alex and andrea have an amazing show and don't forget to pick up alex's book films of the new french extremity visceral horror and national identity also don't forget to go and check out jesse's show abandonware on vice's motherboard site uh, and if you're not already subscribed to our show uh on your favorite podcatcher whatever that may be please do so Leave us a rating and review if you have a moment. Uh, we're on iTunes, SoundCloud, Google Play Music, Stitcher Radio, TuneIn Radio, and many, many others. And if you can't find us on your choice podcatcher, send us an email at show at moviesturnmylife.com and we'll rectify that for you. And that's it. So thanks for hanging out with us.
1: And confused, Um,
2: he really stands out in those Lincoln commercials. (laughs) Uh, God.